All right, Trevor, we'll say good morning. A lot to do today, Baruch Hashem. To thank today's, uh, today, today's sponsors, to thank our Tomatora sponsors for the month of Adar, Paul and Kathy Pollock for dedicating all the Shiurim and Drushos this month in memory of Paul's grandparents, Dina Bas Pesach, Zachary Ben Zachariah, to thank our week of learning sponsors, Karen and Akiva Noach Andrews for dedicating the week of learning for the Yerzite of Karen's mother, Marshabas David Vichana, and to thank Ari and Shoshana Lerner for dedicating today's learning, today the 4th of Adar, in commemoration of Ari's grandmother's yard site, Mrs. Dina Gerber. Dina Bas Yehuda Leib. We hope that on the merit of our Talmud Torah, the Nishamas will have an Aliyah and the families a Nechama. We also thank, we have an anonymous Dr. Omi sponsor. Okay, with no, I don't see a dedication, but we thank the anonymous Dafiomi sponsor. All, all, all sponsorships and all supports are always incredibly appreciated and welcome, of course. So mostly with that, let us begin. So today's Daf is Peizan. We have a lot to do today. A lot of incredible Gemara. We left off on Peivav on the days 86B. And we left off at the story of Rav Huna. So let's begin again. Let's just pick up from the beginning of the story. Rav Huna breaks Rav Nosen, Rav Nachan by Yitzchok. So we'll say this is almost right across from Tulsa's Ein Misarvin Lagodl on 86B. A great story. So Rav Huna, Rav Huna Rav Nosen, went to the house of Rav Nachan Bar Yitzchok. Amrulei, Mashmech. So they said, Rav Huna walks in, they say, what's your name? Amrulei, Rav Huna. He said, my name is Rav Huna. Amru Nesiv Marapuria, would you like to have a seat on the couch? Yosef, he sat down. Yavule Kasa, they offered him a cup of wine. Kabla Bechadzim, he accepted it on the first offer. Bishase Betrezimni, and he drank the, the cup of wine, the glass of wine, in two gulps. Velo Ahadar Ape, and when he drank, he did not turn his face away. Amrule, so I'll say, so they were very intrigued by Rafuna's behavior. So they asked him a series of questions. Amrule, my time occurs to Rafuna. Why do they call you Rafuna? So we mentioned this yesterday. Amrulehu Bal Hashem Ani. That's my name. And as Rashi pointed out, amazingly enough, we've always thought, I've always thought, that Rafuna, Rav, was his title of distinction for his having achieved the level of a scholarship. It turns out that that's not the case. It turns out that Halacha that was his name. That was the name his parents gave him at his birth. I will say, as I mentioned yesterday, kind of at the close of the year, an incredible thing about the, the need for a parent to set expectations for children. Right? The parenting is this very fine balance, this very fine dialectic. You do not want to create undue pressure for your children. That's not healthy. Nor do you want to make your children in your own image of what you want them to be. But a parent must set expectations. And those expectations should be high. Should be high. In accordance with the abilities of the child. But every parent needs it. Because also think about this. If you, if you set no expectations for your child, the message you're communicating is, I don't really have, I don't have that much faith in you. But if you set high expectations, what you say to your child is, I believe that you could accomplish something incredibly amazing. So his parents had pretty high expectations of him. So the Gemara says, So my time, Why is it, Ravuna, that when we told you to sit down on the couch, you sat down. So we'll say, what they were intrigued by was as follows. What they were intrigued by is, as we're going to see, they made a lot of offers to Rafuna thinking that he would decline. So apparently, Tamudeka, what's the right word? Um, etiquette, thank you. So, <laughs> right, so, so, sorry, Talmudic etiquette, excellent. Talmudic etiquette was, 
you know, people would offer you something and you would refuse. You know, we see this in halacha. For example, if you're asked to daven, if you're asked to daven for the Ahmed, right? So the, the, the halachic etiquette is you're, you're a misari. Again, Mishnah has a whole discussion about, if, you know, if at 6.45 in the morning you're asked to daven, do not decline. Just, just get up there and, and go. Right? And I'll say, but, 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 but the idea is, in general, there's a certain etiquette. So apparently, again, when you came over to someone's house and they offer you a couch to sit on, you said, no, thank you, the floor is more than comfortable. So they were intrigued that Rav Huna accepted the couch. So Amr Lehu, because Rav Huna said, I'll tell you why. Well, it's incredible, because Rav Huna said, there's a halacha. What's the halacha? When you're a guest in someone's home, anything that balabas, anything your host tells you to do, you have to do, except for get out. Also, we've spoken about this before. Right? So the Sassan has comment on this. He says, what a strange halacha. Kurosa, can you imagine this? You're a guest at someone's house, and I think everybody said, okay, let's bench, right? And you're the guest, and you say, no, you know, not yet. I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. You know, let's maybe have a little more dessert. Let's schmooze, bring out another bottle of wine. Right? Yeah, anything the balabas tells you to do, you have to do except get out. The Sassamas comments so incredibly that this takana was a, instituted after the story of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa. That after the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed, literally because someone asked a, a guest, <laughs> To get out, Chazal instituted, you can never order someone out of your house. Because of what you know, the Shlaz famous commentary on this, that this is a reference to our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Anything the Balabayas tells you to do, you have to do. I'm a good soldier of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, with one exception. Say, if the Ribbono Sha'olam tells me, get out, or if HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells me I don't want a relationship with you anymore, or HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Silver, I'm done with you, I could say, very nice, I'm not listening to you. I'm not listening to you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I'm not going anywhere. I'll listen to you for whatever else you tell me. Shabbos, Kashos, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do. But if you tell me to go away, I'm not listening to you, Ribbono Shalom. So same idea, why is it? We offered you a glass of wine, you readily accepted it. In other words, you're normally supposed to decline a little bit. So the Gemara says, To which Rav Huna said, listen, I am a guest over here in Rav Nacham by Yitzchak's house. I will say, it is okay to refuse something from someone who is a regular individual. But when someone is a god, when someone is great, if they offer you something, you accept it. My time, why did you drink the glass of wine in two gulps? Right? Why not one gulp? Because again, Chazal said, if a person, you know, downs a glass of wine in one gulp, such a person has a gargaran, such a person has a gluttonous individual. Shnayim, if you go ahead and you drink in two sips, then derech that's the proper way. Shlosha, negasya ruach. This is interesting. If your glass of wine takes you three sips, that's arrogant. That's arrogance, right? People, people who uh, sip apparently in three times, that's arrogance. My time, why is it that when you drank, you did not turn your face away? In other words, they, they felt that ultimately, again, this was also meal etiquette. This was the proper sneeze of a meal. The proper sneeze of a meal is you don't eat looking right at someone. You go and you turn your head. Which Rav Huna said, that's actually only a din by Kala. That's only a din by a bride who was more self-conscious, but some people 
have the Rashi says, So interestingly enough, so Rashi says that it's a din in women, not a din in men. Right? So women sometimes feel a little bit self-conscious eating in front of other people. Men have no such reservations. Right? Men, so Rafuna said, I don't have to turn my face. That's not, that's not the derech of tznius by men. Incredible. Tinan Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Yossi, Echol Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Yossi, let's listen to this story. Rabbi Shmuel went to the house of Rabbi Shimon. Ben, right? Rabbi Yossi, Ben Lekunyo. Yavulei Kasam. So they gave Rabbi Shmuel a glass of wine. Again, he accepted it with the first offer. He drank it with one gulp. I they said to Rabbi Shmuel, Amr lay, Amr lay, lo sarvel amar shosakosa basachas hari zegargaran. One second, drinking a glass of wine with one gulp is that not a bit gluttonous? This is great. So Rabbi Shmuel says, Rabbi Shmuel says, Amr lehu lo amri bekosech katan. First of all, you guys have small cups. That that that's number one. You have small glasses. So when they spoke about two two gulps. That would have been if you would have given me a big boy cup, right? But what did you give me over here, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's a little nothing. So first of all, again, this din was not said in small glasses. Number two, yenach masuk, your wine is very sweet. So because it's very sweet, it goes down very quickly. Yenach masuk. And furthermore, again, I've this is great. Ukresi rechava, and have a big, a, literally a wide stomach. Rabbi Shmuel was, uh, was a large man. So again, he said, for someone like me, drinking down a small glass of sweet wine in one gulp, that's the normative form of consumption. Amrav Hunav, we'll say that parakens off. Amrav Hunav, this is actually interesting halacha. Bnei chabur nichnasim b'shlosha. So we'll say, if a chabur is eating together. Now Rashi points out over here, Rashi points out, Bnei Chabura, Shamish, Hamish, Hamish, I'm sorry, Bnei Chabura, Lav Pesach Koi. Shabbos says, Rashi just points out, this is not referring to Karim Pesach, although interestingly enough, the Rambam happens to quote this halacha by Karim Pesach as well. In other words, what Rashi is saying is, the halacha that we're about to talk about over here is not limited to Karim Pesach. It applies to any time that you are eating a meal in an organized group. So just to give you the, kind of the... So uh, we're eating a meal. Let's imagine we're all, we're all a chabura. We're eating in an organized group and we've hired a shamish. We've hired a waiter. We've hired a waiter. So now, so now what's the halacha? So the Gemara says, B'nei chabur nechnasim b'shlosha v'yotzin afilu be'echad. So when, when B'nei chabura come to sit down, halacha l'maysa, you can only force the shamish, force, so to speak. The shamish is only obligated to go ahead and begin serving the group when at least three members of the group have shown up. Okay, we'll talk about all the qualifications. Rashi says, So we'll say, so if one, so the shamish is not obligated to begin working, to spring into action until at least three members of the chabura show up. But if a couple of guys, one or two guys show up, the, the shamish is not obligated to start. So the Gemara says, However, when leaving the Su'uda, they are permitted to go ahead and leave the Su'uda one at a time, even though Rabbah said this creates more work for the waiter. So we'll say, first of all, number one, this is only true if the Chevra who's coming shows up at the appointed time. We'll say, what the Gemara is saying is like this, when people are part of a Chabura for a meal, there's a certain etiquette as well. The Shamish is not obligated to go ahead and start serving until these three members of the Chabura show up. But even then, that's only assuming they're showing up at the correct time. Let's say three guys, you know, they, they come for dinner at, uh, you know, the, the dinner of the Suda's at six, 
and they come at five, even if there's three of them, the shamish is not obligated to go ahead and start serving them. Furthermore, again, Rashi points out, the is, you also have to tell the shamish that we're going to be leaving one by one. So we'll say, see, I have to inform the Shabbos, because again, the, the idea over here is when people leave one by one, that creates more work for the Shabbos. So therefore, you have to go ahead and inform him about your, 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 you have to inform him about how you're going to be leaving ahead of time. I'll say, this is great. I'm Ravina. So remember, again, all of the participants in the meal split the cost of the waiter. In other words, in other words, your, your cost for the waiter is not dependent on how much you ate. So let's say, for example, Ruvain needed the waiter to come back to him five times. So, he, so but that doesn't matter. Everybody shares in the cost of the waiter. They say, well, say, but listen to this. We'll say, this is great. The last guy who leaves the Suda has to leave a larger tip. He's got to leave a larger tip. Because after all, the Gino will say, why? What's the logic? He's kept the he's kept the waiter later. He's got to leave a later tip. And the Batalacha doesn't follow Ravina, namely again that all the participants in the Suda go ahead and share the cost of the waiter equally. Incredible. We'll say Hajin Alach There's actually a lot of divrei hashkaf and better than these gemara as well. But it's six ten, and we have a whole. Yeah, we have to do today's daf. So let's uh, so let's begin. So we'll say Pezayin, Pezayin, Mazel Tov, Hajin Alach Mazel tov, mazel tov. We'll say incredible, incredible new parak. Haisha, bezman shiba bez bailo. When a woman is in her husband's home. So we'll say now we're talking about, again, remember, in order to partake of carbon Pesach, you must be part of a chabura. Now we're going to discuss about interesting situations which come up when a person is potentially a, a, a chilek, a part of two chaburas. So for example, Haisha, a woman, right? A married woman. When she's living in her husband's home. So let's say have the following case. Her husband shechted with her in mind, right? Makes sense. But her father also shechted with her in mind. So the shail is, whose chabura is she a part of? So what's talacha? Bizman, I'm sorry, bizman, shiba based by law, shachatala by law, shachatala aviha, tocha michal by law. The assumption of Ose says the mission is the halacha a married woman is part of her husband's home. So therefore, again, she's going to be part of her husband's chabura, not part of her father's chabura. That's the assumption. Halcha regal rishon lasos vevesabir. Ose, this is incredible. Let's say the couple just got married and they're going the first yantiv to her parents. To her parents. Ose, this is actually quite interesting. Look at Rashi. Regal harishon. Kach derech hanesuos. So this is actually fascinating. It is the custom, the Mirag that a married couple goes to the wife's parents for the first yamtiv after they're married. Very, very interesting. So let's say again, they're newlyweds. So now let's say their first yamtiv is Pesach. And they're going, they're going to the wife's parent, the wife's family for the first days of Yom Tiv, or for all of Yom Tiv, whatever it is. So what's the halacha? Halcha regal vishon shachat shachat baila. So we'll say now, same case, but this time, this time, they're in her parents' home. So we'll say in case number one, she was in her home with her husband. Her husband shechted for her, her father shechted for her. So the Mishnah says she's part of her husband's chabura, because Mistama, a married woman, is together with her husband. I, what happens now? She's with her husband, but they go to her parents' house for Yom Tif. Again, her husband shechted for her, her father shechted for her. What's Talacha? Tocha b'makom shirotza. 
she could partake of whichever carbon she wants. Now we'll discuss exactly the parameters of that, but she could partake of whichever carbon she wants. Yasm sheshachtu ala apetropsin. But say, let's say the following situation, you have an orphan, and the orphan has apetropsin. And we'll say apetropsin literally translated are trustees. Individuals who manage the estate, the affairs of the, of the Yasm. Let's say again, there are two apetropsin, Reuven and Shemin. Both of them shechted a carbon base. After separate individuals, and both of them had in mind that the Yasm would join them in their carbon Pesach. Yochob HaMakum Shurot. So the Yasm could partake of whichever carbon Pesach he wants. Eved Shoshnei Shotvin. What happens if an Eved belongs to two partners? An Eved belongs to two partners. So I'll say, what's the halacha? Lo Yocham Mishal Shnehen. So in that case, I will say, he's not really, he's not able, so again, Eved Kenani belongs to Ruvain and belongs to Shimon. Remember, your Eved Kenani can partake of your Kabbin Pesach. But Allah each each owner shechted with him in mind. So Allah can't eat from either of them. I will say, why can't he eat on either of them? Because neither one owns him in full. So because of that, neither of them has the ability to kind of pull his entire identity. Now, but of course, if Ruben and Shimon both agree, okay, this year Evet Kanani will eat with you, Ruben, in a Chinami, that could work. But assuming they made no such prior arrangement, he can't eat of either carbon Pesach. What happens if somebody is half Evet, half Ben Chorin? I will say we've seen this case before. It starts out with an Evet Kanani owned by two people, and one, Ruven and Shimon, and Ruven frees his Chelek. When Ruven frees his Chelek, that individual becomes a half Evet, half free man. Lo Yochal Mishal Rabo. He does not have the ability to go ahead and eat as part of his master's carbon Pesach. Again, we'll see Rashi points out of here because we assume the master only had in mind for the Tzad Avdus Shabo, not for the Tzad Chirus Shabo. Again, we'll discuss the parameters of that case in the Gemara. But we'll say, let's analyze the Mishnah. So remember again, the Mishnah said as follows. The Mishnah said in case number, in case number two in the Mishnah, where the woman is at, right, the married couple is at the woman's parents' house for their first Pesach, her father shechts on her behalf and her husband shechts on her behalf. So what did the Mishnah say? She can eat from whichever carbon she wants. Says the Gemara Shamis Mina, Yesh Breira. Oh, what do you learn from here? That we subscribe to the concept of Breira. What's Breira? Retroactive clarification. Because what does the Mishnah sound like? The Mishnah sounds like, comes Pesach night, right? The husband brings out his carbon Pesach. The father brings out his carbon Pesach. And what does the wife do? What does the woman do? She decides wherever she wants. Now, now, what does it mean she decides? Remember, in order to be part of a Chabura, you have to really be part of the Chabura as of when? As of when? The time of Shechita. So obviously, if she's choosing on the Seder night which Pesach she's partaking of, there's obviously the concept of very attractive clarification to which the Gemara says, no, 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 my rotsa bishas shechita. What does it mean? She could eat of whichever carbon she wants. It means that she could partake of whichever carbon she wants, provided that she made that decision already at the time of shechita. So, so what it's saying is, she could choose to be part of whichever chabura she wants, her husband's chabura or her father's chabura, but lemaisa, she's got to choose. And when does she have to choose? At the time of shechita. So we'll say, just to point out, to contrast this with the first case, where let's say again, she's having Pesach in her home with her husband, but her husband shechs on her behalf, her father shechs on her behalf. In that case, there is no need for any active decision because the assumption is that, of course, she's part of her husband's chabura. But if she's at her father's home and her father's shechting for her and her husband's shechting for her, there she, and it's her first yamtiv, there she must make an active decision b'sha shechita, 
whose chabur she is a part of. So the Gemara says, or min or kasha, isha regal harishon or chalas mishalaviha. A woman on her first yontiv after she's married and she's at her father's home, she eats off her father's karma pesach. Mikan ve'elach rotsa chalas mishalaviha, rotsa mishalbaila. From that point on, if she wants to eat from her father's, she can eat from her father's, from her husband, she can eat from her father's. So we'll say, so what's going on over here? It's a kasha, to which the Gemara says, lo kasha, kan beradufa lelech, kan b'she'en radufa lelech. So we'll say, it depends on the case. One is the case where radufa literally means she's exceedingly eager. She's exceedingly eager to go to her father's home, and one is where she's not exceedingly eager. We'll say, what does this mean? Take a look at Rashi. Maslisa b'she'en radufa, lelech tamid labeis aviha, tebeis bailech so listen to this. If a woman is exceedingly eager to go back to her parents' home, so in that case, again, on the first yamtiv after she's married, she's going to be part of her father's carbon Pesach. From that point forward, if she's still exceedingly eager to go home, it's going to be a suffix. Is she part of her father's Pesach? Is she part of her husband's Pesach? But in a quote-unquote more normal case, where she's not exceedingly eager to go home, she's a married woman. So on the first Yom Tiv, ultimately again, she has to make a decision. Is she part of her father's Chabura, part of her husband's Chabura? But for every subsequent Yom Tiv, the assumption is, the default is, that she is part of her husband's Chabura. So we'll say now, the Gemara is going to get into some incredibly beautiful agarata. Now that we mentioned this husband-wife relationship, so the Pasuk says over here, As hayisi shalom. I was then in his eyes, this is from Shirashirim. I was then in his eyes like someone who finds shalom. Amrab, or I found shalom in his eyes. So Amrab Yochanan, Kekala that Klal Yisrael in the eyes of HaKadosh Baruch Hu were like a Kala who found favor in her father-in-law's, in her in-law's eyes and runs home to tell her parents. Right? So we'll say if a, if a bride is beloved by her in-laws, that's obviously a beautiful accomplishment that's very special. And she'll go and tell her parents how much her in-laws love her. So that's like Klal Yisrael. Tikri Ishi, Velo Tikri Li Od Baili. And it will be on that day that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you will no longer call me Ishi, or you will no longer be called, I'm sorry, you will be called Ishi and not be called Baili. Both say there's difference between Ishi and Baili. Baili means master. Ishi means husband, which comes with a connotation of intimacy. So Klal Yisrael says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the day will come where you will not simply be my master, but you will be my husband, representing the idea that the day will come when Christ will be zochet to forge a meaningful and intimate relationship with the Ribbono Shalom. Like a kala in her father-in-law's home, and not like a kala in her father's home. I will say, what does this mean? Before the couple is married, the kala lives in her father's home. After the couple is married, it was common often for the Kala to go with her husband to live in her in-law's home. So when they're in the in-law's home, that represents the husband and wife are living together as husband and wife. So in this Pasuk, Kral Yisrael, you know, putting forward this anticipatory wish and desire that we want the relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu to transform from something, quote-unquote, platonic, like Baili, 
ti'ishi, to something intimate and passionate. So we'll say, so now the Gemara continues quoting the Pasuk from Shia Shirim. Literally translated, we have a young sister and her breasts have not developed. So what does this mean? So we'll remember again, all of Shia Shirim is a metaphor. So what does the metaphor represent? Am Rabbi Yochanan, zu ilam. So I'll say this is incredible. This refers to the city of Elam. Elam was a city in Bavel, as we're going to see. Ultimately, again, Elam, there was a lot of Torah that was taught in Elam, but interestingly enough, Elam did not produce Tamidei Chachamim. Anichoma Vishadai Kamigdalos. So I will say, again, the, the same, well, not the same, it's a different matter. I am like a wall, vishadai. My shadayim are like migdalos, like towers. What does that mean? Am Rabbi Yochanan, ani choma, I am a wall, zutora. Vishadai kemigdalos, what does that refer to? Eilu tamidei chachamim. This refers to Torah's Gaza. I'm both saying that what's, what's the connection between shadayim and tamidei chachamim? So remember again, just like the shadayim, provide sustenance to the baby, so to again, Tamidei Chachamim provide sustenance through the Torah that they teach. The Rava Amarava says, Anichoma Zukinesis Yisrael. I am a wall. This refers to Klal Yisrael. V'shadai Kemigdalos. What does this refer to? Elu Batei Kinesios Ubatei Midrashos. So both say, this is so beautiful. That what does it mean? I write, I am the wall. That's Klal Yisrael is the wall. The wall represents something strong and sturdy. The Shaddai Kamigdalos, literally again, uh, Shaddai breasts like towers. What does that refer to? Elu bate knesios bate midrashos. So we'll say, listen to this. The Shaddaiim metaphor is always one of sustenance, of sustaining. So in the first model, ultimately, again, it's a reference to Tamidi Chachamim who sustained the cloud through their Torah. Here I will say the sustenance comes in the form of shuls and bate medrash. Isn't that beautiful? You know, we often look at, at a shul or base medrash as a place I go to learn, a place I go to daven. But Lamaisa, it's a place that sustains me. It's a place that sustains me. And I will say, I think, again, a Gemara like this is always powerful, but especially we know what it's like to be without the shul. And we know what it's like to, to be like without the base medrash, without being able to come to a makam. But I will say, it's not just a place. It's not just an address. You walk inside these walls and they sustain you. You walk inside these walls and they spiritually nurse you. You walk inside these walls and they nourish you. That's the power of coming to the base measure, of coming to Shul. It's incredible. So we'll say now, according to another Pasik, this time from Tehillim. Literally, our sons are like saplings growing strong in their youth. Our daughters, literally, are like corners that are hewn out in the form or in the shape of the base HaMikdash, of the Heichel. So what does this mean? This is beautiful. Asher banenu kinetim. What does it mean our sons are like saplings? Eilu bachuri Yisrael tamu tamchit. This refers to the young Jewish men who did not taste the taste of sin. We'll say, what does this mean who did not taste the taste of sin? This refers to young Jewish men who exercise self-control and do not give in to their desires. We'll say, so we know again, the greatest koach that we possess in life is the koach of self-control. And remember, you know, we'll say, you know, to be, uh, to be 80 years old and, you know, with your walker, with the tennis balls on the bottom, and to be able to resist your Yetzirah, that's still an accomplishment. But not as great of an accomplishment as to have the full vigor of youth and go ahead and say, you know what, no. 
I'm not going to give in to my temptations. So that's the young men who are like saplings. What does it mean? Our daughters are like the corner. What does that mean? So this refers to the Jewish, to the young women. The young women. Besulos literally means our virgin. Who literally, again, keep their openings tied for their husbands. So we'll say on the most basic level, Rashi says, it refers to the fact that the Jewish women are modest. And therefore, they do not engage in any type of premarital sexual activity. So this, again, isn't it incredible that the Pasuk over here is extolling the virtue of young people, that the ability when I'm young to exercise self-control, right? When, when ultimately, again, passions are at their highest and often one's personal vigor is also very much intact. The ability to exercise self-control in those moments is the greatest accomplishment. So we'll say so again, these are just different psukim highlighting the same metaphor. We'll say, means the young men and the young women who resist temptation, who resist temptation, ultimately, again, it is as if the Beis HaMikdash has been rebuilt in their times. But say, isn't that absolutely incredible? Isn't it absolutely incredible that sometimes the greatest accomplishment in life is self-restraint? See, say, which is fascinating, because we often think the greatest accomplishment in life is something you positively do. But yet here, the Gemara is telling us the greatest, sometimes the greatest accomplishment is the ability to exercise self-restraint. Which I will say, from a Chinuch perspective, is also so incredibly important. That's why we have to be so careful not to get our children every single thing and not to give in to every single demand. And once again, to place limitations because children who grow up without a Chinuch of self-restraint, of limitations, become adults who lack self-restraint. And adults who lack self-restraint accomplish very little in this world, at least Ba'olam Haruchni. So you see the Gemara saying over here, for a young person to exercise self-restraint, that accomplishment is ki'ilu nivna hechel b'yamehen. Is as if you went, the base Hamikdash was built literally in their days. The power, and we'll say this applies to all stages in life, because Chazal is telling us the power of self-restraint, the power to hold myself back. Sometimes, you know, especially in, in, the, in the society in which we live, the goal is satisfy every pleasure. Satisfy every pleasure. If you want it, have it. If you want it, you enjoy it. Self-restraint is part of what makes is, is the cornerstone of Kiddusha. And if we teach it to our children when we're young, when they're young, hopefully they grow up into adults. And hopefully as adults, we're able to instill this media in ourselves as well. Incredibly important. These are both said, listen to this. This is incredible. An incredible, incredible Gemara. We'll say, the words of HaKadosh Baruch Hu came to the Navi Hoshea. There was an interesting enough, there was a period in Jewish history where there were actually four concurrent prophets. The God of the greatest amongst them was the Navi Hoshea. So literally again, the Tchilas Devar Hashem, God's first words were to Hosea. So you must, really? Hosea was the first person God spoke to. There are a lot of prophets. 
between Moshe and Hosea. Um, Rabbi Yochanan, Tchila la'arba nevi'im shenisnavu ba'osa perek. Let's say what it means is Hosea was the greatest prophet amongst the other four who lived at the same time that he did. Who were they? Ve'eluhein, Hosea, Yeshaya, Amos, and Micha. I will say, can you imagine living during these times? Living during four Nevi'im are there. Hosea, Yeshaya, Amos, and Micha. I just want to point out, by the way, what was the impact that four Nevi'im had on Klal Yisrael? Very minimal. Very minimal. Most of these were not these were not good times. Remember again, Yeshai is the prophet of destruction. This is, these are not. So I just want to point out something amazing. How how sometimes we think, oh, if we all, I'm, I'm gonna, if only we had a navi, if only we had a navi. There were plenty of times that Klaisa had a navi, right? And ultimately, again, did not listen to the navi. And the navi told them explicitly, if you keep doing this. This is going to happen. And yet, we just didn't pay attention. Because the truth is, it's not about Nevi'im. This, this, this is the segue. It's not about Nevi'im. It's about self-restraint. It's about a willingness to rein one's self in and not to run wild and unchecked. And as long as a person is not willing to rein themselves in, Moshe Rabbeinu could be whispering in your ear and it won't make one shred of difference. So, Shea, we'll say, listen to this. We'll say, this is the story of the Navi Shea. So it's good, because we've never, most of us, I would imagine, have never ever learned Hosea. Maybe we just heard his name for the first time, right? As we're learning this Gemara. So now, even if you never crack open the Navi, you're going to get the story. says to Hosea, your sons have sinned. So we'll say, so what was HaKadosh Baruch Hu expecting from Hosea? Hosea should have said, What do you mean, my kids? Right? What do you mean, my, my, my sons? They're your kids. They're your kids. They are the sons, literally, again, of your tested ones. Right? The sons of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Ultimately, have compassion on them. So we'll say, so, but Hosea didn't say this. Not only did Hosea not say this, Wow. So Hosea says, listen, good news is God, you're God. Let's just swap them out for another nation. Okay, you don't, you don't, you don't like them. Just swap them out. We'll say, so first of all, why would Hosea say this? Why would Hosea say such a thing like this? So we'll say, what do you see from here? That leaders reach a frustration point. That even the most optimistic and visionary of leaders, when they can't get traction with their flock and constituents, give up hope. Give up hope. Hosea, this was not his natural disposition. But what do you do when day in and day out you're trying to elevate the people, trying to move the people, trying to inspire people, and they're not budging. They're not budging. Hosea gave up on the people. He gave up. He says, God, I'm with you. I, I, I have nothing to say. Remember, the job of the Navi is to be the defender of Kal Yisrael. Hosea says, I've got nothing to say. All I can tell you is, you're God. You could do anything. Swap him out for someone else. But HaKadosh Baruch was incredibly disappointed. What should I do for this old man? To this old man. So Rabbi was very disappointed. Why? Because he felt Hosea failed. He felt Hosea failed. The job of the Navi is not only to be the mouthpiece of God to the people, 
But the job of the Navi is to be the ultimate advocate and defender. That's the job description of the Navi as really created by Moshe Rabbeinu. Mouthpiece of God to the people, but also ultimate advocate and defender of Klal Yisrael. So the Ribon Shalom is very upset and disappointed with Hashem. What should I do with that? And he was, he was upset because Hashem said it like so like, what's the word, flippantly? Just, just swap him out. Just swap out there, your kids. Swap him out for someone else. So listen to this. Omer Lo. So we'll say this is the Navi, the story of Hosea is one of the most wild stories in all of Navi. So Omer Lo, Lech Vekach Isha Zona. Hosea, here's what I want you to do. I want you to marry a prostitute. I want you to go and marry a, right? Go and marry a harlot. Go marry Shazona. And you're going to have kids with her. And then after you have kids with her, And then I'm going to tell you to divorce your wife, send away your kids. If you could do that, then I'll send Klav Yisrael away. So we'll say, so now watch this story. Now I just want to point out, there is a machlokis have a farshim in Hosea, in the Navi Hosea, about whether this actually happened or it was a nevua of Hosea. So did Hosea actually go physically go through these actions? Or again, was it a prophetic vision to teach Hosea lessons? So I'll say, get ready for this. Do me a favor. I want you to go marry a harlot. I want you to go. So I'll say, so just want to point out, can you imagine the scandal over here? Can you imagine the optics of this? Hosea is the Navi Yisrael. And Chalish Baruch Hu tells him, I want you to marry a prostitute. Uksiv, vayilech vayikach es gomer bas divlayim. He married a woman. Her name was Gomer, the daughter of Divlayim. So I'll say, why was her name Gomer? So that wasn't her given name, apparently. That was more a descriptive name. Amarav Shakol Gomrim Ba. Why? Because everyone finished in her. Right? So I'll say, which, which is a... Okay, I don't think you require Rashi, right? I'm, I'm just saying, like, like you know, I'll say, so, so again, this, this, this was how she was. Can you imagine? This was, this was her name. This is her name. Like, it's not the shot. Like, people, people mumbled, I think maybe she's a Zona. You know, I, I think maybe she's... Like, her name was Gomer. Her name was Gomer because it was known what her profession was. Bas Divlayim, Ahmed Beis. Yeah, I'm sorry about that size of that Ahmed Beis over there. I tried to keep that from you as long as possible. But all right, good. Bas Divlayim. Dibara, Bas Dibara. We'll say, if it, bad enough, her mother was also a prostitute. So it was, it was, it was in the Mishpacha. Right? So, so again, she's a second generation at this, at this Malacha already. So what happens? Others say Bastivlain, she was as sweet to everyone like like a like a devela, like a cake of pressed figs. Rabbi Yochan Amar Shakol Dushin Everybody threshed in her like one threshes on a cake of pressed. Again, obviously the idea being that I both say this woman, you know, I guess there's like a recreational zona, you know, like on the weekends, but then there's like but then there's like a person who's mamish like it's her her, it's her name. Her name itself, which also tells you that like Znus was her entire essence. Everything about her was Znus. Even her name, Gomer Bastivlayim. So Davar Acher, Gomer Amar Yehuda, Shebikshu Ligmar Mamonon Shaisabi Amel. Others say, interestingly enough, that her name, Gomer, was actually not a description of her, but somehow a metaphoric description of what was happening in the times. This time, Cloud Yisrael was oppressed by the armies of Aram, and during her days, Aram wanted to deplete the Jewish people of all their money. In fact, they did take the money of Cloud Yisrael. Okay, so what happens? So now, Hoshea marries this woman, woman, 
Gover bastiv layim. And I will say, remember again, whether actually vision, whatever it is, so they have a child together. This, this, this is the offspring. This is the offspring of, of, of Hosea and Gomer Bastiv Layim. So Vatar Vatelid Bain, Vayomer Hashem Elov, Krushmo Yisrael. Go ahead and name him Yisrael. That's his name. Rabbi will say, what, now why is his name Yisrael? Ki od ma'at ufakarati as deme Yisrael al beis Yehu, veshavti mimalchos beis Yisrael. Because if you look at Rashi, Rashi says over here, Yisrael she'asid ani lezoram v'lezrosam agola. So we'll say Yisrael literally means is, is a contraction that ultimately, again, I will plant Klal Yisrael and scatter them in the Golos. So Yisrael is a name descriptive of, I will plant Klal Yisrael everywhere. I'm going to take them out of Eretz Yisrael, plant them everywhere. And also, furthermore, again, for the, I, 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 we'll talk about this revenge piece as well. Then again, Gomer Bas Tivlayim has another child. Name her Lo Ruchama. So that's her name. Lo Ruchama. I will not have compassion. Not very popular present day names. And I will say, Lo Ruchama. Interesting. Ruchama is, is interesting, is interesting, is, 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 a, is a more common name. But Lo Ruchama, that's her name. I will not have compassion. Good, because ultimately I will not have any more compassion on Klav Yisrael. Vatar they had a third child. Vayomer Hashem, love, Karashmo Lo Ami. I say these are wild names. Third son, name him, you are not my nation. Lo Ami. Ki Atem Lo Ami, Vani Lo Eheyelochem. After Hoshea has three children with Gomer Bastivlaim, two sons and one daughter, So Hadish Baruch says to Hoshea, Listen, you should have learned from Moshe, because what happened with Moshe? So Chodesh Baruch says to Hoshea, listen Hoshea, you're a Navi, Moshe was a Navi, just like Moshe separated from his wife when it became clear that the word of God was going to constantly come from him. So to Hoshea, you're my man, you're the guy, and so I'm going to talk with you all the time. You need to separate from your wife as well. And you need to send her away. So Hoshea says, Chodesh Baruch Hu, yesh li banim mimena, ve'ini yachol, ve'ini yachol Baruch Hu, we have children together. We have three kids. What do you want me to do? You want me just to send her away? You know, Shea, so Roshan says, now Shea, now you understand. First of all, Shea, your wife is a Zona. Okay, that's number one. And your children are the offspring of a Zona. So we'll say it appears that Gomer Bastiv Lion did not give up her profession even once she landed this shidduch, right? So again, she was still a zona. Sahalish Baruch Hu says to Hoshea, you don't even know if those kids are yours, right? You don't even know if they're, so your wife is a zona, you don't even know if the kids are yours. And yet what? And yet what? And yet you can't send them away. <laughs> you can't send them away because it's your wife and it's your kids. Kach Yisrael Shehein B'nei Bonai, B'nei Bechanuni, B'nei Avram Yitzchak V'Yaakov. So ultimately, Cheshbaruch says to Hoshea, now do you understand, now do you understand how painful it is for me to contemplate the sending away of my children? Who are my children? Who are my children? They are definitively my children. They are the sons of my tested ones, of my chosen ones. 
the sons of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And while it's true that they've done terrible, terrible things, do you understand why it's so difficult for me to send them away? They are one of the four things, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, which I truly own in this world. What are the four things that HaKadosh Baruch Hu owns in this world? Torah, Kinyan Echad. One of them is Torah. HaKadosh Baruch Hu owns the earth and the heavens. That's another Kinyan. And Klavi saw themselves. We, we are one of the Kinyanim, one of the acquisitions, one of the things that the Ribbono Shalom owns in this world. And you, Hoshea, had the chutzpah to suggest that I said, should swap them out for another nation. So now the Ribbono Shalom says to Hoshea, do you now understand why your suggestion was so ridiculous and why your suggestion was so hurtful? When Hoshea realized what he did, he asked the Kaddish Baruch Hu for forgiveness. Before you ask for forgiveness for yourself, ask for forgiveness for Klav Yisrael. Because as a result of you, I have levied upon them three gizeros. What's really three gizeros? Each of the names of Hoshea's children represented another gezera against Klav Yisrael. Yisrael, Lo Ruchama, Lo Ami, all represented three gezeros against Klav Yisrael. So before you daven for yourself, as Rahu says to Hoshea, daven for Klav Yisrael, Amadu Ubatal Gzeira. Ultimately, Hoshea got up, he davened, and as a result of his tefillos, Chash Baruch Hu rescinded the Gzeiros of Yisrael, Lo Ami, and Lo Ruchamar. Lo Ruchamar, Lo, lo Ami. The Hischil Levarchan. And ultimately, again, Hoshea begins to bless Klal Yisrael Shneemar, Vayom Mispar B'nei Yisrael Kechol Hayam, Vahayamakom Shei Amr Lehem Lo Ami Atem, Yomar Lehem B'nei Kelchai, Vinik Betzu B'nei Yudu B'nei Yisrael Yachtov, Vizarati Ali Ba'aretz, Verechamti Es Lo Ruchama, Vahamarti Lelo Ami Ami Atem. So we'll say, you see over here, that literally again, in the brachos of Hoshea, Hoshea took each of the Klalos, each of the Klalos, Klal Yisrael will not be scattered, they will be planted in Am Yisrael. Chodesh Baruch Hu will not say, I will not have compassion, I will have compassion. Chodesh Baruch Hu will not say, they are not my nation, but they are my nation. Chodesh Baruch Hu turned around all of the Klavos into, oh well, the Hoshea, turned around all of the Klavos into Baruch So we'll say, incredible. Am Rabbi Yochanan, Oila L'Rabbanos, Shemi Kaveres says Baila. Interesting Gemara. Rabbi Yochanan says, Woe to those who are in the Rabbanos, because ultimately, again, it buries those who take it on. Now, I will say now, what this means is this is not just Rabbanos, right? Rabbanos over here in this context means leadership. Woe to those who take on positions of leadership, because positions of leadership usually bury those who go ahead and take them on. Which I will say means this idea that those who engage in positions of Jewish leadership usually age prematurely. I will say the example of this, the greatest example was Shmuel Hanavi. Shmuel Hanavi died at the age of 52. But yet the Navi calls him a Zakein. So what's going on? So the Imar explains because Shmuel Hanabi, it was hard. It was hard. He had a lot on his shoulders. And because he had a lot on his shoulders, his, his responsibilities ultimately buried him. Listen to this. We'll say it's incredible. The average Navi in the days of Navim saw four kings. 
So isn't that incredible? In the days of one Navi, four kings. Why was there such turnover in the kings? Well, sometimes it's because they killed each other. But, but other times it was just because being the king, right? Being vested with the responsibility for Am Yisrael, it ages a person prematurely. And ultimately, again, sometimes buries the individual who bears that responsibility. That was an interesting story as well. Why is Arab say we'll have to stop over here? We'll pick up Emir Tashem with this Kimar. It's, it's a short, it's a very short plot tomorrow. So we'll be uh, we'll we'll be fine. We'll be fine in Mir Tashem. We'll say we'll pick up over here. Again, incredible Gimara to be continued in Mir Tashem.